0: Here we go. Rejecting the screen. Noah Kozlov out here on the East Coast. Also out East, Adam Stanko, just two plugged in dudes talking hoops and a little bit of life. Coming Thursday, the Going ISO edition. Ben Goliver, the Washington Post, also the co-host of Locked On NBA. Every Thursday, he's in the bubble, so we'll go in the bubble and ask him questions that I haven't heard answered before. That comes your way Mm -hmm. on Thursday. In the meantime, go back and listen to Previous episodes of Rejecting the Screen, the Going ISO Editions, the long-form interviews. Most recently, Danny Shays, who played 18 years in the league, and he's got about 1,800 stories for every one of those years. Some terrific tales of 80s and 90s basketball, including riding commercial on the flight next to Mark Eaton. And Danny Shays is 6'11", and Mark Eaton is seven four. And no, they were not sitting in first class, but six-footers <laughs> were... Whose feet were barely touching the ground. Also, imagine running a play at the end of a game to win because you had to catch the flight out that night. So a tie to go to overtime was not going to work. Had to go for the win to catch a flight that night. That was 80s basketball. Danny Shays is going ISO edition, rejecting the screen. We're recording this on Monday, coming on on the heels of what really was a shocking game on Sunday night to make the finals two games to one in favor of the Lakers. But as we do here, Adam, on rejecting the screen, it's, it's a little bit different. It's not, well, here's what worked, here's what didn't work. Let's talk about it first from a broadcast perspective. What do you want from your broadcasters on the biggest stage, which is the NBA Finals?
1: I I always, across the board, and certainly when it comes to the finals, I want this. I want to learn. I want to learn. I I remember talking to Eric Ridehome a few years ago, picked his brain uh, for people who don't know. He created Pardon the Interruption, Round the Horn, Levitard Show, even The Motley Fool, um, the the website for, for investing, which is successful. I mean, he is just... A brilliant guy, but has a great understanding of of television and sort of what people want. And, and he has sort of changed how, how, how TV is viewed. And, and him and I had a great conversation about um, how you can elevate what people know and, and sort of when they're watching a broadcast, you know, you can take them to another level and, and sort of educate them. And I've always thought, I mean, we're both production guys, Noah, you in front of the camera, me behind the scenes. I've always thought that that's, that should be a core staple, that that your viewers are, are educated, they learn something. And especially from a broadcast, I want to hear something that's a little bit deeper. And we started to hear that um, throughout this finals. We started to hear... Things that the coaches were doing, adjustments that had to be made, adjustments now that we're a few games into the series that were made. We were hearing that from Mark Jackson. He's talking not so much in, oh, mama, there goes that man or, you know, hand down, man down, you know, all that stuff. But you're you're starting to hear now about the different ways that teams are are covering the pick and roll. They're talking about the adjustments that are made. Uh, how they're taking Duncan Robinson out of the game. And then we're even here in terms like pistol action. And you never hear about different set plays or actions, um, I, I, I typically think. So in, in broadcast, I love that kind of stuff. I'm interested to hear as a play-by-play guy yourself, how, how it works for you. Yeah, it's Mike Breen's job
0: to, and every play-by-play guy's job, and I think Mike does a phenomenal job, to make the analysts the stars. So to set things up, get out of the way, set them up properly so that they can show what their forte is. But the analyst, instead of complaining about a game, complaining about the era, complaining about officials, you're right, need to educate. So I was just asked the other day, how would you describe your broadcast style? And I said, approachable and fair. And that's what I want from an analyst. I want an analyst to be Approachable. I want that analyst to know everything, but not come off like he knows everything. Mm-hmm. So, to actually know it all, but to be able to explain it in a way that doesn't come off as condescending or right. dismissive. They need to be up on what today's culture is interested in. So, if it is, if there is some sort of fantasy angle, don't just Poo, poo it. If there is something that one of the talk shows on their network is discussing, bring it up at the appropriate time. Don't turn this into a talk show in the first three minutes of a game. Go over those overall themes and continue to come back to them. I would like to see when, when, as you mentioned, when discussing sets and discussing certain coverages defensively is to see more detailed video that way. Use the technology you have to show those things in-game rather than simply just at mm-hmm. halftime when people will tune out. I see this the new, that new shot chart that is that is just a whole bunch of shots that right. either go in or go out. It's just uh, a whole bunch right. of arcs. I don't get it. And, and my thought in my head was, did someone develop that and then sell it to the league and then the league was telling ESPN to use it or did ESPN say we've got this new great thing. I don't, I don't get it. Like it it serves no purpose. If you just showed me a dot on the screen where they shot it from, that is just as good as these arcs that are going.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the, I, Jimmy Butler shot chart. I just want to know are all his shots inside the three point arc. I see that that's the case. I don't need to see these shots going, which obviously don't even have the same trajectory that, that, you know, it's just their standard trajectory. Or who his defender was at the time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So actually follow along of, you know, what the conversation is and be able to pivot what you're talking about, what you may think is interesting versus also what is actually being discussed real time, even on social media.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's funny you talk about the the play by play person's job during the course of a broadcast. I was doing highlights for a number of years for SportsCenter, Center, overseeing highlights on on the finals, and it would always be so funny because the crew that was doing it on location would be it was Stu Scott, Magic Johnson, and John Barry um, were were the crew, and so they would be going through and breaking things like, you know, sort of breaking things down as much as they could. And you do what was called cut the highlights fat. You give it a lot of room to breathe, meaning you make the plays really long show a couple replays, three times, sometimes three replays at a time so that the analyst can jump into the highlight and actually give some, some commentary. And the funniest thing would be the dynamic between Stu Scott and magic Johnson, because they'd be going through the highlight and Stu's describing it and John Barry's breaking things down, what have you. And then all of a sudden they want to get magic in as much as possible. So it'd be some play and LeBron, like, you know, it'd come down and it'd be like Damon Jones feeds LeBron James on the break. Magic. Why do you love bounce passes? <laughs> and magic would just go bounce passes are the best. They're easier to handle. And then, you know, and that'd be it. Like, that's the one thing, but it, but it, he knew in order to play up magic strengths in that situation, yeah. you want the energy, you want to make sure he's a part of what you're doing. So I think that plays into it. And one of the things that I've found that Breen's been doing in these finals more than I have seen even in previous rounds, never mind other playoffs, I feel like this finals in particular, I've noticed that he's specifically asked Van Gundy and Jackson follow-up questions about comments that they've made. So they've referred to things that are happening And then Breen says, well, why do you feel that way? Or can you explain to us, you know, as my example before, what is pistol action? And I think that stuff's great. Like, and it, it now goes a little bit deeper into the conversation, gives us a little more context. Yeah. Because I know the NBA has
0: experimented with all these different broadcasts. Danny LaRue and and Nate Duncan have done them. Influencers have have done them on other streams. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to just veer completely away from a traditional broadcast, but there is a way to work all of these things in to a traditional broadcast setting without jumping the shark.
1: Yes, that's there's what I no hope. question.
0: That's what I hope the league continues mm-hmm. to do. There's no question. So Jimmy Butler was historic, and he's had some historic moments before, not necessarily box score historic moments. So it brings up the question, whose side should we have been on this whole time? I'm always on the side of rockauto.com when it comes to shopping for auto body parts. It's a family business, serves auto parts customers online for 20 years. So if you go to rockauto.com, you can shop for the auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Manufacturers that I've never even heard of. They've got them. They've got everything from engine control modules to brake pads to carpets mm. for every type of driver. Just a few easy clicks, and it's delivered directly to your door. You don't have to go into one of those storefronts anymore and actually interact with people. Who wants to interact <laughs> with people these days?
1: How about the prices, though, Noah? Let, the prices are the interaction. All-
0: this, is what, this is what reminds rockauto.com this is what reminds me of of you and rockauto.com they're always reliable Hmm. i didn't say reliably low because you're not low they are you're just reliable their Hmm. prices are reliably low and they're the same for everybody professionals schmoes like us if you write locked on l-o-c-k-e-d in their how did you hear about us box that's significant because then they know that we sent you. Locked on, L-O-C-K-E-D, space on, in their how did you hear about us box so that they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts. Your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Jimmy Butler was asked before Game 3 by Rachel Nichols on the sidelines. You know he was, he was very comfortable. Seemed very confident. And she said, what makes you feel so confident? <laughs> like, did you want him to stand there, dejected, and, and say, yo, Rachel, let's, I'm just going to be honest here. It's going through the motions. You know, we, we're <laughs> top band. We don't have Goran. We don't, we don't have much of a shot here. So I know the heat logo is on the court. And I, so I know it's a home
1: game. But, a home game.
0: And I know the Lakers, I know they're out late. They might have the South Beach flu. I know. But we don't we don't have a shot. What makes you feel so confident? Is that eh, So he was exuding confidence. He felt great. He's playing with nothing to
1: lose. Nothing. Oh, his his reputation right now could not be better. He all and time. by the way, Jimmy Butler. And so, Noah, this was the thing that I, I wanted to ask you. And we, we had talked about this. We always have our little discussion. What do you want to get into? What do you want to talk about on these, on these shows? Because we always want to take a different approach than is being discussed by, by everyone else. And the one to me with all the Jimmy Butler talk and his greatness in game three was on full display. I mean, on, on the court, there's no question. But it's funny now, the reputation, the, the text that I'm now getting about how everybody loves Jimmy Butler. Now on Twitter, how everyone's talking about how great Jimmy Butler is and what a great teammate we've heard, right? And recently heard David Fisdale say on the Woj pod, something that I thought was fascinating. He Woj was asking him you know, about how Jimmy Butler in the past was thought of differently by, by teammates, but the Heat seemed to love him. And Fisdale said, well, you know, What happens when he goes, Jimmy Butler's a dog. What happens when you put a dog in a room full of cats? The dog eats the cats. What happens when you put a dog in a room full of dogs? They become a pack. And I thought that was fascinating and a great way to look at Jimmy Butler. But the question that I have for you and that I'm curious about is that if we go back and you look at Jimmy Butler's time, here's a Juco kid, goes to Marquette, and then ends up in the league. No one one really thinks he's going to be this outstanding pro. And really just continues his work ethics insane and he's incredibly tough. We know that. But the thing is, he's in Chicago, he's in Minnesota, he's in, he's in Philly. During those stops, there was always questions about how he was getting along with the coaching staff, how he was getting along with his teammates. Is Jimmy Butler really tough to play with? What standard does he hold you to? And the question that I asked you, Noah, who do you blame for what Jimmy Butler's reputation was prior to coming to the heat where it seems like he's found the perfect marriage with that that re- heat regime if you will my question was do you blame jimmy butler do you blame his previous teammates or do you blame the media and i thought how you answered that was was really interesting
0: well i don't i think it's silly to have to take sides here
1: right look
0: at like jimmy butler his rookie year averages three points a game. The next year, he averages eight and a half. The following year, he averages 13. The following year, he averages 20. So you're right. Nobody expected much from Jimmy Butler except Jimmy Butler. Mm -hmm. I heard something recently about being on a 10, a a level of intensity at a 10 when your coworkers are at a seven, but they think that's a 10, and how much of a struggle that can be for different personalities. So if it's not a matter of just demanding excellence. Some people's 10 is that much higher than mm-hmm. everybody mm-hmm. else. So until, as you said, you get, in, as David Fizdo said, and you reiterated, get into the room of dogs, If if he was playing in Minnesota with guys who... Their ten intensity level was Jimmy Butler's seven. It's not going to work. Simple as that. It will. It won't work. If that was the case in Philadelphia, it's not. It's not going to work. It's not going to work for for Jimmy Butler. Whether or not he's the best player on your team or not, he can then it, it can be a disruption when not everybody is up there. So now he's in Miami, where there are more guys. The majority of the guys and The the culture that they have built, where it's good to be at that ten, and then you can drive at that ten for eighty-two games, take four months off, and then go to and then play in the play in the bubble. Like you can drive at that level of intensity for this prolonged period of time. You just don't find that everywhere. So I don't put the blame on. Jimmy Butler, I don't put the blame on the media. I don't put the blame on his other teammates. I give credit to the guys that he's around now.
1: The one thing that I found fascinating over the last, I don't know, six, seven years in which I've really gotten into interviewing a lot of former and current NBA players and and getting to talk to these guys. The one thing that stood out to me that I didn't realize as a fan before really getting to talk to these guys and know them um, on a, you know, more intimately is that NBA franchises are different. We think sometimes as fans that they're all the same, it's just different faces and, and different laundry, right. As, as the old joke goes, but in actuality, I mean, now, okay. The facilities now are somewhat comparable around the league, right? That's that's changed. Whereas back in the day, there were drastic differences. You see what like the Clippers facility would would have been. And they're, and they're practicing at some local community college. You know, you, you have things like that. But it's not just about how much money is in the league now. It's just the way different franchises operate. There's corporate culture that you referenced just now that's different across the board. And when you talk to people that are associated with like the Spurs organization, they'll explain to you just how... There is one way that they do things. It is the Spurs way. And you are not to do things any differently. And they found tremendous success. And a lot of that's been because Popovich and Buford have been there forever. And so people can talk about Tim Duncan and Manu and and Tony Parker. But the truth of the matter is that having the people up top, some consistency, having an ownership group that lets them run the team, and they can keep that consistency, that means that how they practice, how they treat off-season workouts how their medical staff operates. And it's almost always been successful. And then you have rare cases where, oh, you know what? Kawhi Leonard has this weird injury. The team thinks about it one way. He wants other opinions. And all of a sudden they break up for that very reason because of that's the Spurs culture. You're not supposed to do things outside of the Spurs way. And the Heat have this like maniacal, win it all costs, we are going to be the best conditioned team in the league. We're going to be the most prepared and our guys are going to work their tails off every day. And like you described, they're 10, they want to get guys that, that play like that. They care about that personality type, even more so, I would argue, than talent. And so that's why he's been a perfect fit there to me. And I think that what you say makes so much sense that in other situations, not to say you can't win in Philly with Ben Simmons, Joel MB, not to say you can't win with at the time in, in many, you know, Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins, but that mindset, that mentality doesn't go over the same way that it does with guys like, you know, Tyler hero and Goran Dragic who have become like two of his best friends in the world.
0: Right. If you, those other guys might have more talent, might be more talented basketball players. But if, if Jimmy Butler, who is, will be the best, or if not one of the top three players on your team, if he's not going to be aligned with the other intensity levels, and he's not backing down from where he is, that means every little thing that goes wrong is going to be intensified. And he's going to take that as, well, you're not trying hard enough. You're not working hard enough. And that's going to cause issues in a locker room, and it's going to cause issues on a court. You're going to have your moments where everything is great because you're winning, certain things happen. But I've got the feeling that Jimmy Butler would rather be with guys that are willing to elevate to his level of intensity because that will take the team further and through adverse situations than guys who are just simply talented and happy to be there.
1: And one more, one more thing on this, I would just say that there has not been a situation more indicative of what you're just talking about than to hit game three of the NBA finals, where the world thinks, this thing is over and everyone's now predicting a sweep and that the heat don't have any chance whatsoever. And you're out two of your best players, your starters are gone. And Jimmy Butler's now asked to play point guard. He can tell, okay, who's with me now in this situation where we're facing adversity and who, who's going to roll over in those instances. And I think to me, he saw that all year long. And that's why in game three, I think they found success because he knows that his guys were not going to react that way. He was wonderful. Best game I've ever seen him play. But also those other guys rose to the challenge because ultimately that's who they are.
0: All right, so what's going to happen in game four? If the world doesn't end before then, we'll let you know. Like When I see game four
1: is Tuesday, might as well be in 2021. Did you, did you, did you have you ever read the book Sex, Drugs and Cocoa Puffs by Chuck Klosterman? So it's a, it's a series of essays that he has in that book. And, and one of them, he basically does this amazing breakdown of saved by the bell and, and how it meant so much to him at the time. And he basically makes this comparison that he was in college. And so everything's so familiar to him and it, and he, he knew his routine every day, what he did. He went to class, then they watched some saved by the bell marathon from a certain point in time. And they just the predictability of say by the bell like mattered to him. It's this amazing essay that I'm not going to do justice to. But the but the point that I was going to get at was like in college, as you're just floating along and you know your class schedule and everything just sort of feels the same. You do what you want on any given day, but but nothing seems that pressing other than you know, you got papers here and there, but nothing's that important or gonna change. Like everything's sort of predictable. You know, in two weeks this is happening, Christmas breaks coming up, what have you. Like the exact opposite is taking place right now where the uncertainty is just incredible. When someone says to me, like, if they tried to make plans for a week from now, like what? I don't have a clue. I do not know if we're going to make it through tomorrow. I'm not sure. I mean, the most, the most certain thing
0: these days really is the NBA schedule because they've had no issues. Yes. And like with the NFL, you don't know whether that game is going to be played. With college football, you look at a schedule. You don't know if that game is going to be played. The NHL mm-hmm. did it brilliantly. The NBA did it. Yep, we're going to talk about game four in a moment. But it did say before this bubble started, we did the segment of who has the most to gain. Mm-hmm. Well, just this past past few days, I've started to see the Adam Silver for president talk. And in up. that podcast, I said, it's Adam Silver. And if this goes off without a hitch, Adam Silver is going to be the most lauded man in America, and people are going to ask, why isn't Adam Silver president? Well, that time is now. People are asking, why isn't Adam Silver president? So let's get to actually playing a basketball game. Anthony Davis always says, if I'm aggressive, if I'm involved early, that's how I know know, that the team will have success. Anthony Davis wasn't involved at all. Foul trouble was, was brutal. But mm-hmm. even in the fourth quarter, Adam, when the Lakers took the lead, Anthony Davis was non-existent. So I put a lot of that on the Heat defense, but I also put a lot of that on Frank Vogel for not coming up with anything to actually get the ball to Anthony Davis. That was troubling. So I would expect in game four the heavy dose of Anthony Davis, but I'd also expect the Heat to play it similarly to what they did in game three of forcing the Lakers to shoot the ball from three and make the twos even that much more difficult as they did in game four and just expect the Lakers not to be shooting the ball like they did in games one and two. It's, it sounds fairly elementary, but that's, that's a right plan.
1: Yeah, I'm listen. I'm I'm with you on on all that stuff. And you know, it's interesting. They start the NBA Finals. It's Anthony Davis's first Finals run. It's crazy because LeBron's played over fifty Finals games, and here's Anthony Davis's you know first go at this. And it seemed like the big storyline early is like which one's going to win the win the uh, Finals MVP, right? And they're yeah. competing for that. But but if you go back, Heat get off to this great start. They're up twenty three ten in game one. And then I think it was 25, 12. They have this 13 point advantage early on. And then the Lakers go on that crazy run. And during that run, of course, the Dragic injury, the bam injury. And so all of a sudden everything just sort of changed, including how we all viewed the series. And it became just fun and relaxed for Anthony Davis and LeBron. And we saw the energy. I kept talking about how crazy the energy has been right from that front line, Dwight Howard, laughing, everyone dancing like everyone getting into it all of a sudden guys that can be consistent inconsistent throughout the year, hitting shots. You're seeing Rondo hitting threes. Caldwell Pope is, is shooting the ball well. Uh, So all these things are happening. And it, it seems like the avalanche is just going and moving and it can't be stopped. But if you remember Anthony Davis, who's been criticized for not taking his teams far in the playoffs and granted he didn't have a lot of help. We we've always talked about, but Anthony Davis had one chance to play in a championship game prior to this. It was when he was at Kentucky, and I was he there. scored like six points in the national championship. goes one of ten, I think, right? Noah, are those numbers uh, correct? Yeah, but he, but he, had a, so, he ended up with, uh,
0: with a crazy rest of his stat line, yeah.
1: Yeah, like his stat line was crazy. But my point being, didn't really score. And, of course, they still win the national championship. But it's something that's mattered to Anthony Davis for a long time and about the idea of getting back there and getting a second chance at this. And even though college basketball and the NBA are different, for Anthony Davis, this was his opportunity to get back and do it again on the stage. So my point being, game one, he's unbelievable and unstoppable. Game two, he's incredible once again, and it looks like they're fighting for MVP. Now you have game three, and as you point about, between, between foul trouble and then just not getting the ball enough and just sort of being away from the action, he doesn't make an impact. But point being Anthony Davis has had his success in game one against the zone in game two without, without Bam on the floor. And now once again, in game three, we again have our reasons why he wasn't effective, but point being we haven't had the chance to see what it was that I really wanted to see before this series started. And that was Bam guarding Anthony Davis in a one-on-one situation and really going all out on AD. We've seen zones and we saw Jay Crowder guarding Anthony Davis, but we haven't really seen Bam with a chance to do it. So my hope would be that we see Bam in game four, guarding Anthony Davis, the Heat obviously going away from that zone, and they strictly feel like they can match up against the Lakers playing their their man set like they've been doing most of the year. So I'm I'm fascinated to see that part of it, of what will we see? And even if Bam's not on the floor, I mean the team defense has just been tremendous, holding the Lakers to 104 points. It was awesome with all the Jim. And the other thing I think is it's actually less important that we see Dragic return because Jimmy Butler has handled this point guard responsibility so masterfully. So um, I think it's so much more important now. We're not even seeing Kendrick Nunn play more than 20 minutes, which I thought was a given um, considering, you know, Dragic being out. So I think it's, it's vital though, that they get Bam back. And if they do, I still believe that he'd have a chance to, uh, to win this thing. But you got to win game four. Now, another must-win situation. Anthony
0: Davis, I remember that final four reporting from there for Cinesport in New Orleans in 2012. And AD, I'm looking at the box score right now, against Louisville in the final four, and that was against Gorgie Jang and Russ Smith and Peyton Siva and and Shane Bahannon. In the final four game in the semifinal, he had 18, 14, and five blocks on seven seven of eight shootings. And then two nights later when he's playing Kansas and that's Thomas Robinson and mm-hmm. who, you know, flamed out pretty quickly in the league and Thomas Robinson and Jeff Withey. Mm-hmm. Anthony Davis, you're right, one for 10, six points, but he had 16 boards, five assists, three steals, and six blocks. Amazing. That night. And t- Thomas Robinson at 18 and 17 on six, on <laughs> six of 17 shooting. That was one of the guys I was, I was right about. I just, I just didn't think he was going to be good in the league. I just didn't, didn't even think he was that good in college. never thought he was going to be that good in the league. But as you said, in, in, with Anthony Davis, I want to see him playing against Bam when the Heat are playing man-to-man, and they're not, they're not playing zone. And they didn't mm-hmm. play zone really at all in, in game three. And the fact that they he would keep the Lakers off the boards the way they were was really impressive. But if if there's anybody that can just go and go and go, it's it's Jimmy Butler. So if that's your horse, and you need to and you need to continue to throw the saddle on them and say, hey, if it's another cup of coffee that you need, whatever it takes, <laughs> Jimmy Butler's a good guy to have you out there.
1: Without question.
0: Coming up on Thursday, we'll go. Inside the Bubble with Ben Golliver of the Washington Post, also the co-host of Locked On NBA with David Locke on Thursdays. Everything else on the Locked On Podcast Network, you can get the national show, Locked On NBA, five days a week. Hollinger and Duncan every Monday, your team every day, all 30 teams on the Locked On Podcast Network. But while you've got us, share the podcast, click subscribe, let your friends know what you're listening to, why you listen to it, Send us some comments on Apple Podcasts so that we know that you love us as much as we love you. We're on Instagram at rejecting underscore the underscore screen. Adam's on Twitter at Naismith lives. I'm at Noah koslov C-O-S-L-O-B. Adam, thanks, pal.
1: You are the best.